Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the 1986 film Labyrinth. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do listen without having seen it, just be aware there may be spoilers. Enjoy. Hello. Good evening. I don't know why I answered, uh, said hello like that, but it felt suitable for this week's film. That would have been, that was almost like a Halloween episode. <laughs> it was like Matt Berry esque, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. So you won't just be a ghost. It's more like, hello, whiskey. <laughs> How are you today? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Not too bad. I quite. Only just finished watching this week's film today, so it's fresh in my mind, which is always good. You know, sometimes I've watched it sort of a few days ago, watched it in halves on my phone because that's the only time that I can fit it in. Um, and I still did that with this one, but you know, I never get time to sit down and actually watch a film anymore. But like, yeah, I was, it's, I feel like it's fresh in my mind, which is always good. Sometimes it's been too long, especially if we have a break, and it's like, uh, who was in this film? What was it again? <laughs> what oh, was, yeah, what was this movie? <laughs> yeah. So you know, sometimes I, I feel like I'm not with it, but I feel I feel with it today, which is good. good you I'm know? glad. I'm glad. Which rarely happens when you have two small children, but yeah. <laughs> How about oh, you? There we go. Yes, I'm fine. I've had a non-working day today, which meant that I had to do boring chores uh, for, oh. for the for the day because um, it's when I can catch up on doing things. Um, I thought you were going to say you you played Pokemon all day. <laughs> no, I wish. I wish. No, I had I had various things to do, such as my exciting life. I actually started playing Pokemon Go again for the first time in a very long time. And I, I logged in and opened it and it said that I hadn't logged in since 2016, but it still retained my levels and all the Pokemon that I'd caught. So that was good. Ah, very good. What Pokemon did you catch? Oh, I can't remember any of the names. They were all new ones. Oh, the new ones that I'd never heard of before. I, I'd caught some of the classic ones when I played it before, but when I opened it up this time, I was surrounded by loads of Pokemon I'd never ever seen. Like all with like fire or jive or something in like their name. Grumple the fire octopus. Or... Grumple fart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that kind of thing. So I caught a few grumple farts, and then that was about <laughs> it. But it's because I want to. I spoke to you before. I want to start my son on video games soon, and I've uh, tested out the demo of. Um, Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu, and I made my wife play it as well, um, <clears throat> so she's on board as well, which is good, but it links up with Pokemon Go, so I just figured I can start playing that and then see if there's anything we can do with that to have fun as well. Ah, okay, yeah. Yeah, I've been playing through that in my spare time, Let's Go Eevee, um, and it is Yeah, fun. on the demo it's Let's Go Eevee, and you can um, you can have a little f- bit of fun just like petting Eevee, which is you know nice yeah it's that. a little thing where you can pet eevee and then you run around and you see the pokemon and then you throw the pokeball and it's very pleasant beautifully simple yeah exactly. simple pleasures exactly exactly um so speaking of childhoods as a very yeah. awkward segue 
things that are very simple and remind <laughs> you of your childhood. Um, Labyrinth is a film from my childhood. This is a movie that I grew up with. But not from mine. But you have so, never seen it. Never seen it until this week. I'm sure some people are listening in shock horror. But the thing <laughs> is, it's not actually necessarily our era. But I mean, that's that's different for everyone, isn't it? But it came out in 1986. We were yeah. born in 1988. So I think for me, it, perhaps if it had been out a few years later, it might have been like my parents might have seen it and gone, oh yeah, let's let's get that, or let's watch that, or whatever. But it just kind of never really came up. And I didn't really even hear about it until I think I was an adult. And then other people were saying that it was part of their childhood. But I think it didn't do spectacularly at the box office and didn't really stick around and then sort of became a cult classic later, I think, based on nostalgia by the smaller number of people who had seen it, right? Yeah, so so Labyrinth, um, like you said, it's not... Um it's it's not a movie that's direct from our childhood in terms of us being able to go and see it at the cinema or things like that but this is the kind of movie that um that had gained a strong following amongst kids and you're you're very much the outlier in terms of people i know who grew up in the 90s who hadn't seen it right interesting um, and so it has had a cuz i didn't live under a rock no, you, no, you lived under a, a large boulder instead. There's a there's a great difference. Yeah, my family of cave people. Yeah, <laughs> we lived in a cave. Yeah. Um, but you're cave right trolls, that, that it, it, it didn't do particularly well when it first came out, and that's because it came out um, against a number of other movies, including the second Karate Kid film, Ferris Bueller's Day Out, Top Gun, um, but all Ferris out. Bueller's Day Off. Yes, not Baby's Day Out, which is the no. movie that you should always not watch. Or Baby's Day, day Off. off. <laughs> baby um, just takes a day off from being a baby. A, takes a day no off crying today. No pooping. Just there reading, no reading the telegraph. <laughs> Tutting at stories about migrants and trans people. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so yeah, so in terms of box office success, it didn't lose money. It was modest success. Made no. made back its um made back its budget and then some. But it wasn't a huge breakaway success. But instead what happened was over time it you know, it got good reviews from critics overall, decent decent ish scores. Um and then over time it grew in people buying it on video it being seen on tv a bit like hocus pocus that we talked about back mm. in uh, back in halloween week um that um that actually it became this classic over time a bit in the same way that the dark crystal did where these movies with jim henson reaching out from what was um expected of him to do things a little bit differently a little bit more interesting in some ways um did gain this cult following over time and gain this real um this this real following and strong identification with the movie and the dark crystal is earlier isn't it that's 1982 yes yeah so this was the last movie that jim henson directed right but i haven't seen the dark crystal either oh, should i be okay. should i have seen that dark crystal's cool yeah yeah, it's also good. It's if that's purely um puppety. It's all puppets. All puppets all the time. Puppet fest. <laughs> um and that um that yeah, that that also um kind of similar actually cost about 25 million. I think that made back about 40 million versus this one's 35 million. But pretty similar 
kind of things where they then both went on to um to get this cult following over time after getting a decent critical reception um and then of course the dark crystal did have a sequel the other year um they did yeah so dark crystal age of resistance was a tv series released on netflix i had no idea that existed yeah so they released it on netflix and it had a really good cast of people for all the roles um uh but then i think it's already been cancelled by netflix because that's what of netflix course, that's does. what they do yeah um any anything like this but yeah i think i think it went down well with with um uh i think it went down well with with fans um that's good. Did, did well critically as well um but i think that um i think that yeah netflix said yeah we're not gonna do this because we don't do anything that is interesting. Unless you're in the top 10 of programs that they're pushing at every single Netflix user all the time, despite the rest of it being algorithmic, then there's no, <laughs> you've no chance, have you? Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so so yeah, but no, Labyrinth has not had that. Um, unfortunately, Labyrinth hasn't had a follow-up. That's probably a good thing, though. And I think it would be very, very hard to get that right, based on you know having only seen it once. But I think a lot of people do love it and have that nostalgia for it. And I think but you know if they manage to do it for the dark crystal which occupies a similar space then maybe it's possible i don't know has yeah. there been talk so, of a, a follow-up or dare i say it's a remake <laughs> so not a remake but a sequel has been discussed and has been discussed for the last almost decade i think um where at last count i think scott derrickson was involved to direct who's the guy who did um the sinister horror movies and oh, yes. uh, doctor strange so actually he's got a good, quite a good eye for dark fantasy elements based on previous things that he's done doctor cumberbatch in a big collar is that the one <laughs> exactly that's the one um so he he's he's a decent director he's he's done some good stuff so he kind of could be quite a good fit um however yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure what's going on with it if it is but also david bowie is dead but also, of course, David Bowie would not be able to be in it. And to be honest, what's the point in a Labyrinth sequel if David Bowie can't be in it? Exactly. And I, I'm i not a like one of these... Made, I'm not a huge Bowie fan. Like, I've never... Well, I'd say I actually am a fan, but I'm not like a, a fanatical fan, even though fan is short for fanatic, isn't it? I'm not a mega fan. And I, I think that there probably is someone out there who could do a good job of this if they were to remake it, but I still think it wouldn't be the same and it would be difficult. And there's no reason to necessarily other than to make money, isn't there? But what I want to say about Bowie is that I was never massively into him, um, but I always thought he had a couple of decent tracks, seemed okay, but actually it's almost been more since he died that I've actually paid a bit more attention to his work and I've seen some of his films. I'd never seen any of his films or anything until we, we started watching a couple, um, and the more I hear about him and the more I am exposed to his work, the more I find myself liking him and being interested in him. Um, so I think I'm at the point now where I feel like his film performances, especially this, are just really iconic and there's no way that you could top that really with any kind of remake or sequel. All all it took for you to get on the Bowie train was to watch The Hunger where he's an, an old decaying vampire. Yeah, genuinely, <laughs> so- that was a turning point. <laughs> um which to be fair is amazing i mean i i love the stuff he's he's in i don't know if you've ever seen the prestige 
No. Um, the Prestige. Everyone go. you know, Christopher Nolan. Was that about oh, him being a, ma- a magician? Uh, yes, it's the magician movie, you know. Oh, oh Christopher yeah. Nolan, Mr... Magic Bowie. Mr. Dance, Mr. Magic Dun- Dance. <laughs> Mr. Dunkirk Man. Mr. Batman Man. Um, his, the Batman Man. His best movie. Sorry, everyone who loves Inception or The Dark Knight or whatever other stuff he's done. His best movie is The Prestige from 2006, which is almost like a sort of rival magician story. Um, Sounds good. Based on a novel that I don't think anybody's read. Um, <laughs> Nobody reads books. No one reads books. Books, books are for nerds. nerds. It's by Christopher Priest. I'm sure that people have read. Oh, okay. Yeah. But the, he's, the he's very good. Yes, but very but, highly respected. And, I, and I'm sci-fi sh- and fantasy. Also. Yeah, and I'm sh- and I'm sure that the novel is amazing because I mean his reputation for good books is good. But nobody reads books. Books are for nerds. Movies books are for the cool exist kids. only to be source texts for films. Yeah, those poor people. The only people who read books are those poor people whose job it is to read them to then adapt them into movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's how reality works, people. It's the only reason um, libraries and bookshops exist. Yeah, it's just just full of screenplay writers. <laughs> but the prestige is a great sort of fantasy magic realist sci-fi psychological thriller about rival magicians and it is perfect perfect movie um and he's in that he plays he plays nikola tesla of all people that's right i did know that i feel like you've told me about this before um and he also has done some he also did some voice work in spongebob squarepants which is something that people rarely um talk about perfect um, and that's the thing about someone like bowie you think oh he was just this like this sort of otherworldly space oddity guy and then you realize that he just did whatever the hell he wanted his entire career and, and if and, it's something as goofy as spongebob squarepants and something as child-friendly as that as well i always respect people who can do all ages stuff as yeah, well and do it well yeah. you know i'm not talking about like david cross voicing the chipmunks no offense to david cross i'm talking about something that's on another level you know yeah, well, you've got, you know, the the classic TV opening to The Snowman, the Raymond Briggs adaptation, was him talking yeah. about it. You know, he, he was someone who could, you know, um, could reach all of those different age groups in that way, like you said. Um, but also, you know, I, I think that's a real key thing that you said about him doing whatever the hell he wanted throughout his career. I mean, you go from, you know, art rock to, to glam rock to weird, jazzy industrial to, to jungle... <laughs> to drum and bass whatever the hell he wanted to do throughout his career he did it and i think that's something that you know people think about him being the 70s icon but actually i think a lot of the stuff that he did beyond that was very very interesting and pushing things in different directions and what i like is that it didn't always work but he kept doing random stuff to test that's exactly it ways he didn't give up if something didn't work it's just sort of on to the next thing Exactly. And I mean, one of my favourite Bowie albums, actually, is Blackstar, his last album, which I think is a genuinely incredible, um, mm. incredible work of art. Um, truly fantastic. And yeah, it's good. If people haven't listened to it, do listen to it. It's one of the best things he ever released. Um, it's really good. Um, but um, but yes, in we got onto this by talking about how he could not be replaced and he absolutely could not be replaced in this movie. I can't think of anyone who could. It, it it's the perfect Jim Henson performance of an of a human being almost, isn't it? Where we yes. think about we think about those other key performances in Muppet movies. Obviously My- Michael Caine in the Muppet Christmas Carol will always be my favorite, but this this came close, honestly. 
yeah, without any nostalgia or anything, this came very close for me. You've got to be, you've got to have a certain kind of charisma, charisma to be able to act against Muppets in such an effective yeah. way. And Michael Caine has it, Tim Curry has it from um, yeah. Treasure Island, and David Bowie has it. Absolutely, he's just enjoying himself. He's having fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for for me at least, the best scene in the entire movie is uh dance magic dance yeah him singing that song surrounded by muppets carrying a baby perfect cinema i absolutely <laughs> no love that and it came completely out of nowhere in the perfect way <laughs> yeah. apropos of absolutely nothing we've got david bowie for this film he's written us some songs we're going to let him do one with all the puppets you know why not let's just let's just shoot it it's chuck great. it in halfway yeah. through the film everyone will love it yeah it's 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 really great um, and I love that there are those little musical moments throughout. It's all very Bowie-esque, obviously. Um, and it really adds this sense of uniqueness to this movie that nothing else has. And I mean, this was in the the pinnacle era of fantasy movies. You know, outside yeah. of the Lord of the Rings trilogy in the early 2000s, this was the best era. You've got Conan, you've got Legend, you've got Willow, um, and you've got this. And it's... It's it's nice how they're all such different movies, and this has such a unique feel to it, doesn't it? It does, yeah, because it, it never comes across as that serious, does it? And I think no. it's quite interesting, actually, to talk to this within a couple of weeks of watching Your Highness, which is trying to send up those kind of films. <laughs> yeah. This is actually almost a better send-up, even though that's Absolutely. not its intention. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? It's like it's there are, there are bits of it that are very goofy and very silly, um, but it still sort of has a love for fantasy at its heart and still tells a great fantasy story. Yeah, and what's interesting is, of course, on that episode, we talked about how the Holy Grail was almost the precursor to that mm. kind of send-up. And, of course, Terry Jones wrote this movie. Yes, I did not know that until I saw it on the the wonderful opening um, title sequence, which is j- literally just an owl flying around and then the words appearing. And I'm like, yes, which which I is fun that. fun fact for you. Fun fact! Um, that's, the, that's the first ever attempt at making a CGI photorealistic character in a feature film. That owl. really, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, um, which which is amazing. I'm going to say love, that's the that. first time they've ever used a barn owl in a title sequence. <laughs> Snowy well, that, owls. That may well be true. Who knows? Let's find yeah. out. Um, Eagle yeah. owls. They were using them in Hollywood in the twenties, but no one ever thought to use a barn owl. S- secretly, every movie star in the twenties was an eagle owl. And then they yep. just covered them in makeup. That's why Hollywood was so cheap in those days. They didn't have to pay human beings. They just had to have a supply of mice on hand at all times. Yeah, which is how they got. Which is how they ended up with Mickey Mouse. Exactly. Exactly. You know, they they were they were feeding steroids to these mice to beef them up so that the owls would stay full for longer, so they were easier to film. And and one of them had too much, and it grew and it grew and it grew and it turned into Mickey Mouse. Yeah, because originally Walt Disney had toyed with this cartoon called Steamboat Eagle, but it didn't go very <laughs> didn't go down very well with the test audiences. But nonetheless, because of this eagle thing, that's why Americans are so obsessed with eagles. They yeah. never shut up about eagles. They put eagles on everything. But 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 they thought to themselves, you know, those test audiences, quite understandably, they thought, why would an eagle be on a boat? It could fly. Mice can't fly. So you know. They, they were forced into that corner with 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 Mickey Mouse, um, tragically passed away with um, with but due to the sheer number of steroids that he took. Yeah, um, but, um, but they found yeah. him on the toilet, didn't they? Like Elvis, <laughs> they did. Yeah, 
little little scrawled note saying, if I don't make it out of this toilet, tell Goofy I love him. I'm looking forward to Baz Luhrmann's adaptation of that. <laughs> I would watch that. Um, anyway, <laughs> Terry Jones, right. So he wrote the first draft and then Jim Henson gave it off to other people to give it some rewrites and then also went back to Jones at the end and asked for a bit more humour and originality in it. Um, so it was kind of this hybrid thing. Um, but Jones gets the writing credit. But Jones gets the writing credit and I think is responsible for a lot of that quirky humour. Um, and that's really what sets this apart, I think. The weirdness. You've got the little worm caterpillar man who's yeah. like I, I, my favourite character. Coming to meet the missus. <laughs> It's so great. Oh, you don't want to go that way. That'll lead you straight to the castle. Brilliant. Um, The helping hands that are are literally hands in that that chasm that are pulling her down. Um, The the wolf faces telling people, danger is afoot, that are called false alarms. All of that kind of knowing comedy about um, fairy tale tropes and about fantasy tropes is what sets this movie apart. And it does almost feel like a pastiche because it is, of course... Helping hands. That's, yeah. that's such a weird joke, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So, like really surrealist humour. And that's the thing, it's just the right side of that line, isn't it? Absolutely. It's not yeah. too knowing, but it is very much a joke, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. And You're I, supposed I, to laugh at it, but because the, the puppetry is actually extremely creepy, it sort of gels <laughs> with that in quite a good, in quite a nice way. I think he, they, they got the tone of that right. And it's something that I think could easily have gone too far down either route where everything seems like a joke and then then none of the story makes sense because it doesn't land on a serious emotional level or everything's extremely creepy and the jokes don't land because it's too sort of eldritch yeah but but you're right it walks that path really well where it's got that sense of danger that comes from this actually being quite a dark fantasy setting but it's got that humour that tones it down. I think, you know, the, the whole subtext, um, you know, I firmly believe that subtext is for cowards like Garth Marenghi. Um, but the subtext here is, of course, that it's this this young girl who's growing out of um, that love of fantasy that she had when she was younger and turning towards, you know, being an adult. And so, of course, it's making fun and playing with those concepts. It's almost like this coming-of-age version of Alice in Wonderland, Mm. essentially isn't it this this movie. which is also extremely creepy which is also extremely creepy and which i do yeah. not care for you don't care for alice in wonderland i no. i like alice in wonderland um even though the the writer well the less said about him the better but um but here i do think it's 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 clear in its attempts to play with and toy with the ideas of these fairy tales and these fantasy tropes in a way that ties into that theme of someone turning into an adult and so, yeah, there's bits and hit, there's bits and pieces in here which are recognisable from fantasy stories, like the one door can only tell truths and one door can only tell lies, that whole kind of thing. And she solves the logic puzzle, but of course gets it wrong, yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is great. And I love that they do things like that throughout this movie as well. So it has these little send ups, but it does it in an effective way, doesn't it? And it does it with with love in its heart. Absolutely. And the the thematic thing is, is good to mention as well, because I didn't feel like there was much to it until it really got to the end. And then you, you see her at the end taking down her sort of childish photos and giving the teddy bear to the little brother. And then it's like it's trying to say that she's coming of age and you hadn't thought about it too much and growing out of it. But then all the fantasy guys appear in her bedroom and they have a dance sequence because that's, of course, how you, the only way you could end a film like this. 
but it it dealt with that as a thing without sort of really ham- hammering it home too much. It gave it sort of just enough thematic juice to make it feel like there was some emotional resonance rather than it just being a goofy, creepy puppet movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But this um, was a certificate you, it said on Netflix. Yeah. I, there's no way in hell I would show this to my son. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I think it should be a PG. Just for, I'm going to write to the BBFC and complain. Just for David Bowie's crotch more than anything else. That exactly, yeah. New. The very final scene that he's in where she's like saying the magic words at him, he's got this giant white cod piece on. <laughs> and it's huge. It's bulging. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is a. a I'm not sure if you're aware of. It is a. It's a long-standing joke about this movie. Is is David Bowie stuffing his crotch in this film? Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, that makes sense. <laughs> and it's yeah. It's it's. It, but I th- I think you know beyond that kind of joke around the codpiece and stuff. I think like the the costume design in this movie is exceptional as well. Yeah. Um. You know, every everything from David Bowie's various costumes to his amazing hair to like the things that everyone else is wearing and all of the character designs and everything. You know, it has this sense of the unreal. They weren't attempting to create something that looked realistic. I mean, you've got those sort of like picture painted backdrops for the labyrinth and everything like that. It's not there to appear real, but instead it really sucks you into this fantasy environment, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um. And of course, the puppets which are incredible. Who was your favourite puppet? Um, I liked Sir Didymus because he looked like a sort of cast-off from the Star Fox universe, <laughs> which I quite enjoyed. Fantasy Star And he Fox. also gets to ride a dog. He so, does, you know. he does. Ambrosius. Yeah. And that dog was very well behaved. I've got a lot of time for that dog. I do love the way that they successfully managed to interweave the dog being a puppet and the dog being a real dog at different times when they needed it and it not appearing too fake in those moments. Yeah. No, and to be honest, for a a puppet film from 1986, I think visually it held up very, very well and looked really good. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. And I think there's versatility in the puppets that they create as well. Like you've got that really big foreboding, um, goblin-controlled, mechanical... um, like monster at the end like a like a giant suit of armor that's actually quite intimidating yeah but then you've also got yeah like sir didymus or you've got the weird fiery little gremlin guys who sing a song <laughs> yeah um, some of them played by danny john jules oh yeah um to, just to, to name drop someone else cool involved in this movie um i think for me i love the the worm guy the little caterpillar guy is probably my favorite I thought he was going to pop up again later, and I was no, very he's just in the one didn't. scene. Just in the one scene, um, but I do also, yeah, like Sir Didymus um, and Ludo, which is more yeah. of a costume than a puppet, but Ludo's great as well. He says a few words. He does. He does. Friend mainly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, is that? And what I think is great is that it does have all of these sort of. Um, it does have all of these memorable characters as well, and I think that's another reason why it stood the test of time so well and why people have wanted to keep watching it. And, like, you know, I, I watch this movie fairly regularly. It's one of those movies that I have nostalgia for that I don't mind rewatching, which isn't... There aren't that many um, for me that are like that. A lot of movies from my childhood, I'll rewatch every so often and then be like, ah, oh, I'll watch that again in a couple of years. But Labyrinth is one of those ones where I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I could watch it again. I'm even thinking about it now and thinking, yeah, I could go and watch Labyrinth again. So it's on your regular rotation? Yeah. The nostalgia yeah. rotation? Yeah, the nostalgia rotation. 
maybe it occupies a similar place in your pantheon as Beethoven does in mine. I yeah, think. I, th- I think that's a similar kind of thing. This is my, this is my Beethoven, which maybe says <laughs> a lot a dog about in it. <laughs> it says a lot about both of our psyches. Yeah, what, what fills that Beethoven spot? Yeah, I think if yeah, you to trace both of our lives and just kind of look at the the events and the things that we've done and the things that we've accomplished. Yeah, mine are more <laughs> like a Saint Bernard. Yours are more like David Bowie's codpiece. <laughs> Absolutely. I am I am Prince of the Bog of Stench. Um <laughs> That was good, the Bog of Eternal Stench. Bog of Eternal Stench is very good. Um I think there's something about those kind of movies from this era that have those kind of very fitting moments. Like I remember Never Ending Story has similar and the Princess Bride has similar as well. Yeah. Where they you that you get the sense of these real geographical landmarks, don't you, in these films? That you don't... The Never Ending Story is another one where I think I saw I have seen it, but n- not till I was sort of old enough to be too cool for it and I didn't really think much of it, but I'd like to revisit it at some point. Least of all because of the moment in Stranger Things where they sing the song, which is funny. But I hate that scene. I know. I really, I'm sure that's like your least favourite scene in anything. It is ever. my it is my least favourite scene in, in Stranger Things, apart from can we talk about spoilers from the last series of Stranger yeah, Things? Yeah, of course we can. Just skip forward a few minutes if you haven't um, seen the most recent They kill season. they they kill pause. They kill Eddie. I know. And right and, after he's done the Master of Puppets thing that everyone loved and that made heavy metal cool again and that introduced um heavy metal to Gen Zers who'd never heard of it. And and like I don't mind that they killed him, but they kill him in a way that's pointless, apart from just to make people feel sad. Yeah. Like there there's no point to the scene where he does do the sacrifice that he does. Just so that there's some mourning. Just just so that there's some mourning because they think, oh well, we can't kill off any of the main characters. And this is something it's lazy that they've done in the last few series of Stranger Things, actually. So they killed off Samwise, they killed off Max's brother, and they've killed off Eddie. Yeah. And none of them have died in ways that actually they need to die. Um and like the 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 killing of Samwise Gamgee was kind of shocking and that one it, sort of worked yeah the the thing just jumped on him and started eating him and yeah then that was that and and that sort of worked that one it's like oh gosh maybe there is some danger here and then not everyone is 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 definitely going to survive but actually what we've learned over time is no our core group is going to survive all the way it's just going to be those secondary characters which are now inevitably going to die and he actually learned how to play the whole of master of puppets like with the solo and everything like having like only the mo- like basic guitar abilities before he got the part which is Which incredible. I think is awesome. Yeah, I love that so much. But but it, but it really annoyed me, and it annoyed me in the same way that that stupid never-ending story song. If that scene wasn't there in the plot of the of um of Stranger Things, the Max's brother wouldn't have died because the yeah. time that it took for them to sing that stupid song is the time that it took for him to get murdered by the big monster at the end. But then he wouldn't have been able to be one of the like record label guys in the Elvis movie. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, so th- that kind of irritates me. And again, it's falling into those comfortable tropes in in Stranger Things that really gets on my gears. And I wish, I wish they do things with a little bit more danger in mind. Because actually, by just killing off the secondary characters, it doesn't create more tension for the viewer because we just know. Oh, well, the main group's going to be fine, and this guy who I've watched for this series, he's probably going to die. Like all the, from the moment we got yeah. introduced to Eddie at the start of that series of Stranger Things, I thought this guy's blatantly going to die in a heroic way by the end. But there's only going to be one more season, isn't there? They've said so. Yeah. They're blatantly yeah. going to kill off one of the main characters. I hope they if, kill off Mike at least. Yeah, Mike's, yeah, Mike's, got, Mike's a bit of a dick. Mike's got to go. Sorry, 
Sorry, Finn Wolfhard. You've got an amazing name, and Good we name. love you. But we like ca- you as a person. Your Mike ca- is a dick. Your character has now gone into Harry Potter from book five onwards territory of being a whiny little bitch ba- baby <laughs> soy boy beta cuck and not having it. Oh, do you, you think Mike's going to become a wizard cop? When he grows <laughs> Blatantly going to yeah. become a wizard cop. Um, but no, you know what I mean? How in, in the later Harry Potter books, he's just there and he's like, I'm sad and arrogant and don't you know who I am? Yeah. That's kind that's of what's happened to Mike now. It's really hard being the chosen one. Yeah, exactly. it's basically a summary of the last few books. Yeah, that I mean, that's all that that's all that happens in the last few Harry Potter books is that, and then our oh, Dumbledore's dead now. I guess, R.I.P. Dumbledore's dead. Here come the bad guys. Oh, good. We've beaten the bad guys, and now nothing has changed in this world full of inequality. Yeah, we could change things, but we're not gonna. And I'm gonna become a wizard cop. I'm going to become a wizard cop, and then 20 years down the line, we're going to have Hogwarts Legacy, which could, you know, could have addressed that, but instead, no. Nah. Yeah, well, it's about it's about the the um, goblin uprisings, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. I'm, I th- I'm not going to play it because uh, yeah. I'm not going to give any money to that. But. No, no, and I, I think I don't want to get on my 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 soapbox here, but I'm going to anyway. So sorry, strap in. We've lads. talked about it enough times. <laughs> strap in, lads. Um, the um, one thing that I've noticed in online spaces, because everyone online is awful, including myself. Is a waffle. Is awful. Oh. <laughs> is is a waffle as well. I just hear what I want to hear. Um, is that lots of people have been billing this, oh, we're boycotting this Harry Potter game and we're going to stop it from making money. No, what's going to happen is it's going to make loads of money. And transphobic assholes like J.K. Rowling and her ilk... They're going to see it as a victory against wokeness and a victory against trans people. But actually what's happened is the vast majority of people aren't aware of J.K. Rowling's transphobia, aren't aware of the implications of that, and they're buying the game because it's a Harry Potter game that looks good. So one thing that I think people need to do is actually realise actually this isn't a battle over trans rights or trans acceptance here. This is just people buying a video game, and a lot of them don't have that awareness. And if you are aware of it and you do buy it, doesn't mean you're transphobic but it doesn't mean you're an ally you can't call yourself an ally while no. still giving money yeah. to someone who funds anti-trans organizations i'm sorry yeah i don't i don't know if i'd be down with that you know there, no, there are no. lots of other much better games out there that you could be playing and the thing is if you do desperately want to play it you can still buy it secondhand yes that's what you should do yeah but don't buy it if you are a, a streamer or a YouTuber, don't play it on your channel because what you're doing there is giving the game free PR. You're promoting it, yeah. And if you do that, doesn't necessarily mean you're transphobic, but it does mean that you can't call yourself an ally. And I think that's the main thing that people need to take away is it's like, no, it's not this firm line in the sand where it's like, yeah, you know, there's, there's far many more things you should be doing to support trans people than simply not buying a video game. But if you can't do the bare minimum of not buying a video game, <laughs> then are you really standing with trans people against one of the people who's at the forefront of trying to deny their rights? Because let's be honest, J.K. Rowling's been quoted by transphobic lawmakers in America. She's been quoted by Vladimir fucking Putin as part of his anti-LGBTQ stance in Russia. I mean, I've never seen a world leader who looked more like Voldemort. 
That's just an obvious link, isn't it? (laughs) Exactly. So, like, when you're thinking about these kind of things, it's like, well, no, you can't be an ally to people if you're not willing to do the absolute bare minimum of not buying a video game that you kind of fancy playing. Yeah. Because it looks all right. It looks like it might be a decent open world. I'd be open to it, but, you know. But when You previously said it looks mid, and I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, it looks fine. It's it's not going to change the world. It's probably not going to be totally shit. But do bear in mind that if you're looking at this purely from an objective space, this is a studio that's only ever made licensed games for stuff like Disney. It's being published by Warner Brothers, who are notorious for meddling in projects to stop them from being as good as they could be. It's probably not going to be the greatest game in the world. So if you can't even bear to not play, it's probably going to end up a, like an 8 out of 10, score-wise. Yeah. If you can't bear to not play an out of 10 video game and that's where your barrier lies for your 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 ideologies and your stance and your belief system you're probably a pretty shit ally mate yeah and you know that'll cost you 60 quid final fantasy 7 costs six quid yeah. <laughs> you could buy 10 copies of final fantasy 7 and play them yeah. simultaneously on different devices i'll give them to your mates how many copies of Garfield Kart Furious <laughs> Racing could you buy for 60 quid yeah. and then have a mega tournament with all of your friends? That's not a bad idea. We still need to do that. <laughs> we really do. We really do need to. Um, but you make a good point. There's so many other games out there that you could be playing instead. Why not play them? Yeah. Just just leave are it. You that, are you that, get in, get are you in that desperate to play mid-Wizard Cop? <laughs> mid-Wizard Cop. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, back to Labyrinth, which I don't believe has anyone transphobic involved. I don't in believe it, so. Which no, is nice. which is good. How did Terry we get Jones is that? one of the good one of the good pythons. Yeah, he's dead, isn't he? He yeah, he died unfortunately. That's a shame. Um, but 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 we've got a, you know we've got a really great cast here. You know we talked about um, we talked about Bowie of course, but also the other lead here, Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, she's great. Who is this? fantastic? Playing a character um, who is actually her age. Which doesn't <laughs> yes. happen in films that often, does which is, it? Which is nice. Um, and and this is really, really early in her career. She'd only been in a handful of other things before this. Um, most famously before this was Phenomena, which is a um, Dario Argento horror movie. Oh, right, yeah. Um, which is very cool. She has like a psychic ability to talk to insects and then tries to solve a murder by speaking to insects. It's really strange, really cool. That sounds really good. I've um, not heard of this, yeah, but it's well, well Donald Pleasance it. as well. I love him. Yeah, it's it's like the um the other big western movie that he did apart from um Suspiria. Suspiria. Yeah. Um where where of course he has has all sorts of amazing horror movies. I'm a big fan. Um, of his um but um you know they they were probably the two big big ones in in america um along with maybe tenebrae as well as the third which kind of fit in the middle between the two right. um but yes yeah, it's, it's well worth watching phenomena very 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 interesting film looks good um but yeah no she's she's brilliant in this you know again someone that young having the ability to act predominantly against puppets or people in costumes um, does a really good job of it as well. Yeah, when they've they've formed their little merry band and they're crossing the bog and everything, you know, it all feels nice, doesn't it? It yeah, doesn't feel absolutely. weird that they're puppets. No, and that that's the amazing thing is a lot like like the Muppet movies. It doesn't feel odd that they're puppets. There's this parity between the human actors and the puppet actors. Um, that's that's really that's really good. 
Um, and of course, we've got Toby the baby. Yep. Um, Toby Froud, who has done all sorts of stuff, including being a puppet sculptor these days and design and stuff like that. His dad was the designer for Labyrinth. So yes, that yeah, that's right. Um, and yeah, so he's worked as a puppet sculptor on Gamma del Toro's Pinocchio. All right. Done lots of design stuff around the Dark Crystal TV series. I've heard good things about Gamma del Toro's Pinocchio. Yeah, I've heard it's really good too. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. It's very but, weird um, that it came out around the same time as the one that looks really bad with Tom Hanks in it. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so yeah, I do. Yeah, I do need to watch it, and it's it's all claymation, which is one of my favourite. Yeah, see, I'm open to that, even though a bit like Alice in Wonderland, I think Pinocchio is an incredibly creepy story. Yes, it is incredibly creepy. There's there's the horrible body horror moment where the kid turns into the donkey. Yeah, yeah, it's nasty. um, Which I love, and as a kid, terrified me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. It's probably my introduction to horror, actually, thinking about it, because even though my parents did let me watch whatever the hell they wanted to watch, um, they were never big horror horror movie fans yeah um so that was probably the first horror scene i ever watched in something was probably that in pinocchio and there's a it's a love story that's yet to end me and horrible scenes in movies good long may it continue (laughs) because it gives us lots of great stuff to talk about here (laughs) indeed indeed um so we've talked a lot about what you loved is there anything you didn't love um, well about this movie? I, I wouldn't say that i fully loved it i mean i think the the creepiness of it is a good thing but overall still made still felt a bit weird and i was still thinking you know this is a this is quite out there and i didn't love hoggle i thought oh. he was a bit annoying and a bit sort of uh you know a bit a bit wet a bit wet milk you know you I didn't for enjoy the kind being of... introduced to a character with him pissing into a pond no, that's always good. That's like that scene in the Angry Birds <laughs> film. You know, I don't, I don't have an objection to that. But no, but his, yeah, his as a puppet as well. His his face wasn't that nice to look at. No offense, sorry, Hoggle. Just, just weren't. Once, once Sir Didymus came along and he was doing his kind of sort of fake valiant knight thing, that made it all the worse that Hoggle was so wet. You know. But don't you think that's kind of the point of Hoggle? Is that he's meant to be that cowardly person who then grows to be heroic yeah that's the thing it's his character arc i don't care about his character arc do i <laughs> you don't care about hoggle's growth no well, that's so- that sounds like a <laughs> harry potter game doesn't it hoggle's growth that that's the that's the weird little um the weird little village outside of hogsmeads hoggle's growth oh that's the one yeah yeah that's the one with the shady pubs where they don't like that the students go to. Yeah. Because they drink all the, but- all the good butter beer. The wizard cops don't go there. No. <laughs> they leave it alone. You go, you go to Hoggle's Grove and they're all talking about how centaurs are coming here and taking our jobs. Yeah. <laughs> and at, at, yeah, at times the creepiness was a little bit overwhelming. It sort of it fluctuated a little bit for me. Uh, okay okay whereas i love it because i am a little creepy goblin man myself yeah and um you know i thought i thought at times the the song the songs were so good that it didn't matter but the the pacing of it felt a bit disjointed and it did feel like well we've got bowie let's just throw some songs in there um but you know (laughs) there's nothing wrong with that i i do i do agree about the pacing in general feeling a bit disjointed in this movie actually but it is sort of it's more a series of set pieces rather than a continuation of a wider 
um, wider thing. And I think, like, particularly the geography of it is quite confusing about how they get from point A to point B in terms of reaching the castle and everything like that. It feels like... I definitely could not draw you a map. No, you can't quite map out what the geography of this looks like, even though the scenes themselves are very, very iconic and very memorable. Yes. And the other other thing is that... the. The idea of using using a baby as the kind of the thing that's in peril, I found a little bit distasteful. I mean, nothing, no Are harm you ever comes to him. Saying this as a father, of course, I'm, I'm saying this as a father. Yeah, <laughs> the baby who you know, I my second son is a almost a, well, probably around a, the same age that that the baby in the film was. So it reminded me of him a lot, and I just thought I I, I didn't like watching that very much. But it made sense for her character arc, right? So I, was, I didn't mind it too much. But then it did kind of redeem itself when David Bowie was playing with the baby because that felt genuine and nice. Yes. Even though it's in a room full of goblins all singing. <laughs> and um, one fun thing about when uh, when David Bowie's doing the scene before he sings that song um, is the baby kept crying. And to stop the baby from crying they had a sooty puppet and so actually for the entirety of when Jareth the Goblin King is speaking Debbie Bowie's actually got the sooty puppet on one hand and is wigging lit to distract the baby which is why the baby's being quiet in that scene that's cute Um, I have no problem with the baby being in peril I think the baby in fact should have been in more peril should have been held over the bog of eternal stench for instance Yep. Um, there should have been more peril for the baby well, some, sometimes living with a baby feels like the bog of eternal stench. Am I right? <laughs> it wouldn't be a thing to a to a stinky baby, <laughs> especially if they've just recently started eating solid food. Woo! Oh dear. But um, the scene the scene at like towards the end where they're in the room with all the staircases and stuff, and he's crawling around. And he's like crawling on the ceiling and stuff, and that scene was really really cool. And like I appreciated that. And Bowie was awesome in that scene, like properly like menacing but also still like you'd give him a hug you know he still felt kind of there was so so that's what kind of if it wasn't for bowie i think this film would fall flat but no jennifer connelly is good but she wouldn't be enough on her own perhaps to to carry it um but he is he is so good and so likable and even though he's playing an evil king he just feels so warm doesn't he yeah, you, you really needed that dichotomy of the two human leads in this film. And I think if I can't think of anyone who apart from actually um Tim Curry. Yes. Apart from Tim Curry, I can't think of anyone else who would have been able to carry this movie. Yes, Tim Curry would have made a good goblin king. Um but yeah, apart apart from that, I can't think of anyone else who could have done it. And you needed that strangeness that charisma and that warmth like you said because if you made the goblin king too cruel then it would have taken away from the overall charm of the film i think yeah absolutely and it would have been very easy i think for them to do that especially you know given that all of the kind of fantasy stuff that was coming out around that time they were probably all full of cruel kings yeah i mean you you look at conan for instance there's some big old bad guys in that yeah mean guys I think this came out the same year as the Black Cauldron as well, you know? Yes. Proper yeah. proper mean bastard horned king in that one. <laughs> that motherfucker. Yeah. Similarly quite creepy film. Obviously very animated, but the creepiness of that is something that I did love as a kid and do have nostalgia for. Even though I know yeah, I know it's, it's terrible. It's uh it's another Black Cauldron's not terrible. It just 
was a massive financial failure. It's not terrible, but like having watched it as an adult, I can objectively see that it's not been well made and it's not been well adapted and it's very, very flawed, but I still love it. Yeah, I've, I, I'm a fan of it. We should talk it. about it's, it another time then. We should, we should, yeah. I've not watched it in a very long time. Um, possibly not since I was a kid. Ah, okay. But I have good memories of it. Be your perspective on it would be interesting then. Yeah, yeah. But I I liked when Disney was making all of those weird little dark movies in the eighties. Like we talked we talked before about how The Black Hole is a great film. Mm, yeah. Very yeah. odd sci fi movie. And Oliver um, and Company got, is one of my faves as well. And that has a bit of darkness in it as well. I mean it's it's got um what's his face singing all the songs, that's dark enough. William Joel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, that's his evil alter ego, William Joel. Yeah. Or Joel Williams. Actually, Joel Williams. That would, his, that would be his evil doppelganger. Yeah. No, William Joel um, sounds a bit like Willem Dafoe, and now I'm just picturing him in like a green goblin suit. Out, am I? <laughs> um, and then, of course, we've got Tron, the most boring movie ever made. Oh, I've Sorry, never seen Tron, Tron fans. It's visually interesting. The story is trash, and the sequel is all right. Um, yeah, I had good things about but, that. Yeah, it's fun. It's got Daft Punk music, which what more can you love than Daft Punk? Um, but yeah, I, I liked that this was an era where people were making weird sort of dark but still fun movies for kids. Yeah. And I think people were less concerned with, with what kids were watching back then, weren't they? You probably wouldn't get away with this now. No, it's someone saying we should cancel the Goblin King. Yeah, but fascist cartoons like Paw Patrol, they're making them every day. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of fascist cartoons, <laughs> um, <laughs> have you seen anything about the new Velma cartoon? The I've heard that lots of people hate it, but I know nothing about it and I don't it care. Looks, but... looks really awful. I'm sorry, it really does. Um, there's no Scooby-Doo in it. It's a Scooby-Doo adaptation with no dog. What's the point if there isn't a dog going every five seconds? <laughs> Dogs? Basically, it seems though, and, and lots of Scooby-Doo fans have been have been that where they've been watching it. They're saying it seems as though it's a, a modernization of Scooby-Doo made by people who hate Scooby-Doo, <laughs> which is not a good place for it to be. It's a shame because it's got some good people and it's got Sam Richardson and it's got Glenn Howard in it. Oh right, um, but it's it's sort of it's made for adults, and obviously, if you're making something for adults, it seems as though you'd probably want to do it aimed at people who liked the original subject matter when they were kids. But it seems as though it seems as though it just hates Scooby Doo as a concept. Everyone seems to hate it because there's lots of people saying because um, lots of people saying that because because they've sort of um, race swapped a lot of characters, for instance. Yeah, I've heard the the very tedious thing people saying it's too woke. Obviously, but that's people just are saying. People. So, so all the conservatives hate it because it's too woke. But also, it makes lots of like Haha, woke young people aren't they silly style jokes uh, because it's because it's um, written and generally created by uh, Mindy Kaling, who hates young people. Yep. <laughs> Quotes from her: "I hate young people." Is that is that true? That's I'm a legit sure. quote. No, no, but I'm sure she said that at some point. Yeah. So there's all of this stuff about basically the the cap the, the the message of the show seems to be, and lots of people on the left have criticised it for basically being the equivalent of um, 
what's our guy Jordan B. Peterson oh, going up yours woke moralists oh, no. and it seems to be <laughs> kind of like that so everyone hates it because Scooby-Doo fans hate it because it it clearly doesn't like Scooby-Doo um they also you know people on the left hate it because it's cringe people on the right hate it because it happens to have someone who's South Asian American in the lead role and now Shaggy is black so they despise it for that um and so, yeah, no one's no one's enjoying. Fantastic! It. I think it's kind of an achievement to make what something great... that everyone hates. <laughs> what we could unite the entire um, the entire planet like the evil squid monster in Watchmen. Yeah, but the most important thing to note is that they never should have made it because Scooby Doo peaked with the one with Matthew Lillard in it, and nothing that's no Scooby Doo oh, content man. since then has ever been as good. I I I actually love Scooby Doo. Um, again, I think it's because as a kid I had this fascination with horror, and obviously this is a, a comedy thing with horrible monsters in it. Um, so I loved watching the repeats of it on TV when I was a kid. I loved those movies. I loved the modern TV series as well. Um, so yeah, this this is the kind of thing that should have appealed to me, but I'm just like, yeah, you're all right. Save it for Ma- save your love for Matthew Lillard. <laughs> yeah, where's where where's our Matthew Lillard? He's a good uh, egg content. That's what we want. Um, anyway, is there anything else you want to say about um, about Labyrinth? No, I, I, I think I've covered it. I think there were some good moments of physical comedy as well from the yeah. human actors and from the puppets, and it got that balance right. Overall, <clears throat> it creeped me out, and it, it, the pacing was off and weird, and the aesthetics of it are strange but not completely unfamiliar because I've seen a lot of other Jim Henson stuff, and you you know what you know what you're getting into, right? I think yeah. if you go into it yeah. without that perspective and without no- that nostalgia now, um, as if you haven't seen it, it m- probably will seem very, very weird to you. And it is weird, but it's Jim Henson weird, which if you've seen a few Muppet films, then you're used to that. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I loved it, but I enjoyed it more than I was expecting to, particularly going into something that I know a lot of people have nostalgia for and I don't, and that a lot of people really, really love it and like say that it's their favourite film. I, I was worried that it was going to underwhelm me, but I was definitely, I was definitely whelmed, more than whelmed. <laughs> definitely whelmed. More than overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Sort of whelmed, not over. Sort of whelmed. But Bowie was so good, <laughs> and he he completely yeah. carried it and was amazing and just perfect and engaging and wonderful in every scene. And the songs were really good and really fun, and it balanced fun and creepy well. So I really, really like that, and I appreciate it, and I'm very, very glad that it exists. And I would watch it again. Excellent. That is that is nice to know. Um, I've got just a couple of bits of trivia for you. So, would you like to know who else was considered to play the Goblin King? Sure. So, Mick Jagger. Hell no. Michael Michael Jackson. Okay, I I could see that. Sting. And well, also a man we know who has experience of cod pieces. (laughs) Yeah. And Prince, of course, he would um, he would have actually been awesome. So Prince would have been a very very different energy. Yeah, him chasing around Jennifer Connelly, saying "Try my soup." Yeah, but um, <laughs> hitting her with pillows, hitting her with pillows. <laughs> but um, 
but yeah, I, I could see I that. I kind of wish that that had happened because you know, just because I love Prince so much and I love but his I, films, I, even I though they're terrible. I don't think I don't think he would have quite been able to compare to Bowie in this. I think it's a different kind of charisma. Um, yeah. And I think Michael Jackson would have been terrible. I think Mick Jagger would have been terrible. I think Sting could have worked because he has that similar sort of intensity. Yeah. Um. So that that could have worked, but I don't. I still think it would be nowhere near. Um. Nowhere near the boaster as I believe his friends like to call him. Who, Prince? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So a couple of names for people who could have had the the role of Sarah, Jennifer Connelly's character. Um, They also considered Helena Bonham Carter, Sarah Jessica Parker, Laura Dern. Okay. Um, Which all could have have kind of worked, but actually I think Jennifer Connelly um, was the right choice there. Absolutely. Um, so, yes. And in 1986, Prince was busy making or getting gearing up for the release of Under the Cherry Moon, which came out the same year. So obviously, <laughs> which obviously... If, if he'd chosen to be Jareth the Goblin King, he wouldn't have made the masterpiece that is Under the Cherry Moon. Yeah. So, you know, we definitely had it the right way around there. Um... <laughs> I think it's time to, for a, a rewatch of that. I think it's never a time. For... Episode 100, I think it I... was. I don't ever think we should rewatch that movie ever again. Um, anyway, how are we going to rate this then? Um, let's see. How many of the little goblin guys show up in your room at the end of the film for a lovely dance scene? So I've got 18 goblin guys. Um, I love this film. It's great. It's a big nostalgic thing for me and I could always rewatch it. So, yeah. I don't think I can go that high because I don't have the nostalgia factor, but I was I very much enjoyed it, and there's there's so much about it that I appreciate. And now I'm very glad that I've seen that performance of Bowie because I think that is a really iconic thing. So I'm going to give it a 16 out of 20. Oh, very good, very good. She also said to um, Ludo at one point, "You seem like such a nice beast," and I appreciated <laughs> Which that is line. Great. Yes, I like that line. And that the bog was farting as well. Uh, yeah, I like the fart was, was riding a dog while the bog farted. That was nice. <laughs> I appreciated what that. What can you want? Yeah. Uh, so, what have we got next then? Well, do you, do you want to watch a dog film or a monkey film? Those are your two choices. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to go dog. dog okay. Film. In which case, we're going to be watching The Call of the Wild from 2020. With Harrison Ford, is that and the, the Harrison and the, Ford CG and the man dog in a dog movie. costume? Yeah, some of it's a, <laughs> okay. a dog man, some of it's CG, some of it's like a robot dog thing. Uh, yeah. Out of interest, what was the monkey movie? Um, well, if I tell you, then you you might want to choose that. You might change your mind. But no, um, Dunstan checks in. Okay, so um, you can. I've seen can that still... before. <laughs> And I seem to remember despising it when I was like seven years old and I watched it. So, See, that's the best kind of nostalgia. Anti-nostalgia. <laughs> do, do you have anti-nostalgia for movies? I don't know. Do, are there movies from a, from when you were a kid that you despised and when they, yeah. they come up, you like get a little shudder? I don't know. Maybe I think Alice in Wonderland potentially falls into that category. I don't know. Maybe Pinocchio as well. I wouldn't say I, I would go as far as to say I despise them, but they maybe being creeped out by them just because those ones are fresh. But I'll, I'll have you, a think about that. Because you had that, you had that, um, the the being creeped out by them factor rather than watching it and being irritated by it. Yeah, which is I don't my know. main memory of Dunstan checks in, <laughs> and sure is my that... main memory of Baby's Day Out that we talked about earlier. Oh yeah, well that's just because think... you hate babies. <laughs> 
do. I do. I despise all babies. That's that's my thing. They send you pictures of my son. You just text back going, "Fuck off." <laughs> Get that shit off my screen. <laughs> Disclaimer: That is not true. No. Paddy's children are a delight. Okay. Well, you you want to watch the the Wolf London film? Then that's I want to. I want to watch. I want to watch Old Man and a Dog. Yep. Not Old Man and the Sea. Old Man and the Dog. Yeah, much better. We will never, ever watch The Old Man and the Sea. I'm assuming there's a film adaptation of the Hemingway book which can get into the bin, <laughs> along with all of Hemingway's work. <laughs> I'm Ernest Hemingway. Look at my books. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> I wonder if there has been an adaptation. Oh God! You're gonna make me watch it, aren't you? I'm gonna look it up. I'm punishment see what exists. Yeah. Well, if, anyway, if you do I'm that to me, I'm definitely to... gonna definitely gonna make you watch Dunstan checks in. <laughs> I'm looking forward to, to old man dog movie there. Yeah, I actually I really wanted to see it at the time, and I'm I I feel like I I had completely forgotten it existed until for some reason I saw something about it, um, and now I'm really excited to watch it. So I'm glad you chose that. Excellent. Excellent. Nice. All right. Well, thanks a lot for tuning in. We really appreciate it. And we hope you enjoyed watching or rewatching Labyrinth, which is a, a great film. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Big Boys Don't Pod. You can email us on, on email. That's what you do, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Big Boys Don't Outlook. Outlook or Gmail, whichever your other email providers are available. Um, Get Proton Mail if you're thinking of an email provider because they're the least evil and most secure. Give us money, please, Proton Mail. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we'll be back next week to talk about The Call of the Wild by Wolf Alrighty. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye.